everyone, and welcome to Jowl of the Month Club. I'm your host, Diana Koch. On this episode, we analyze Juan Antonio Bardem's The Corruption of Chris Miller. Released in 1973, this Spanish thriller touches on themes of trauma and PTSD. My guest today is a frequent contributor to the podcast. He is a musician, filmmaker, and fellow podcaster, Wade Brown. Guess who's back? Back again. There All right, um, this is going to be the last episode that Wade's on. <laughs> I'm your favorite guest. Slim Wadey. Slim Wadey. Oh, yeah. <laughs> we can't do it anymore because we just got a copyright claim just now. Eminem sued us. Was that 30 seconds? No, it was 30 seconds. Okay, we're good. But I'm back. Yeah, thanks for being here. Of course. We're here live in studio because... Because we're, we're vaxxed. We're both vaxxed. Fully vaccinated. It's really nice recording in person. Yes. I've missed doing that, and I am not the biggest fan of recording virtually. Besides the corruption of Chris Miller, have you been watching anything interesting that you would like to recommend to the listeners? Yes. I've been watching a lot of movies. A lot of movies. One of them shows. I got a really Jackie Chan mood. Nice. And I popped in Rumble in the Bronx, which I haven't seen in like 15, well, 20 years? Like 10? You know, I was 10 years old or whatever. And that movie holds up. I nice. forgot about the jousting with the Lamborghini sword. I forgot all about that, whatever. Who Am I is also a great uh, Jackie Chan movie. The, yeah. The rooftop scene, the fight scene is awesome. It's on YouTube. The whole thing's like eight minutes. Watch it. And it got me into what, like, I ordered all the John Wick movies on Blu-ray because Hell I got yeah. super inspired by like, Jackie Chan movies. I bought those a few years ago on Black yeah. Friday. I got the 4K. Great, great purchase. Yeah, I got the 4K oh, versions. Oh, hell yeah. And John Wick on 4K. Mwah. Chef's Kiss, amazing. amazing. Um, Hard recommend for John Wick. Mortal Kombat was fun. And, uh, uh, I watched that. It was fun. So, it was bad. But it was a fun bad. Yeah. Because you could really make jokes the entire time. And the kills were great. Yeah. If you want bad, watch Mortal Kombat Annihilation. You'll yeah. get bad. But yeah. But this one was fun. Donnie Yen. No, Diane's on this. Oh, sorry. Uh, God, what's his name? Joe Taslim. Joe Taslim. Sorry. Uh, from, from The Raid. From The Raid, Night Comes for Us. Yeah, he's he's Hell great. yeah. I really like him. Yeah. Like, Big it's, fan. It's, it's fine. For a Mortal Kombat movie, gave you all it needed. No one goes to Mortal Kombat for the story. Sorry. Uh, and also... I wish Donnie Yen was I in Mortal was, Kombat. I thought this movie was okay, but we gotta <laughs> mention it. Jacob's Wife. I thought it was fine. Travis Stevens' movies are fine to me. Yeah. They're not bad. They're not amazing. They're mm-hmm. fine. But we had to talk about because Barbara Crampton... Because Barbara Crampton... Yeah, she dances with a, lamp, with a lamp to, like, uh, was it Concrete Blonde? Bloodletting? Oh, my gosh. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And also CM Punk's mustache. I was about to say, and CM Punk is in that as well. Yes. That's fun. I think it's fun. They also Larry Fassenden. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, it's, it's just, it's fun. It's a fun little movie you should check out. Yeah, it's like kind of mid-budget, a lot of heart to it, and of course, Barbara Crampton. Like, you, you gotta watch it. It's an Barbara. interesting vampire story. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's, yeah, it's available. It's Jacob with a K instead of a C. Jacob's wife. So, Diana, what have you been watching? So, I haven't been watching a ton of movies, but I have been catching The Last Drive-In with Joe Bob Briggs every Same. Friday. Same here. Audition played. First time viewing for Audition for me. I really like that movie. The perfect amount of weird and sick and gruesome and... <laughs> yeah, yeah. Good movie. Audition. 
And an Australian film called Next of Kin also played, which that was one of the lesser known films that has played recently that I really liked. Yeah, I like that movie a lot too. It's very interesting, kind of like cleverly, and also that last act is wild. And I loved that little tidbit that Joe Bob shared at the end where he said that the explosives guy did not set off the explosion at the right time, but the camera caught it in the mirror, which is way more effective and such a better shot than it originally would have been. I thought that was just like such a cool fact. And I, and I, I really enjoyed that one. Another film that has not played on The Last Drive-In, but it recently came out on Shudder, is Psycho Gorman. Love Psycho Gorman. Love it. Yeah. It's friggin' awesome. How do you say friggin'? Yeah, it's by the team that made the editor. Manborg. Manborg and The Void. I've not seen The Void yet, but I've seen Manborg and uh, the editor and Psycho Gorman. I love Psycho Gorman so much. As someone who grew up on Super Sentai, like Power Rangers, excellent. The music's awesome. The effects are great. I want more so. I want a comic book. Because that, they built that world. That universe. Like, mm-hmm. I want to get more into that. Yeah. If you're listening, comic book. Do it manga style. Screw it. Do it manga style. All right. Let's get into the Jalo goodness. Also released as Behind the Shutters, Patty Cake. Killer Man and Sisters of Corruption. The corruption of Chris Miller follows an emotionally disturbed woman and her beautiful yet distressed stepdaughter as they hire a drifter as a handyman to work on their property and elsewhere, murders ensue. Uh, I kind of like Patty Cake, but I mean, murder. Was it Killer Man? Killer Man. Killer Man. And Sisters of Corruption. Sisters of Corruption. But they're not sisters. Oh, that's true. Sisters of Corruption would be an amazing title for a vampire film. Ooh, yeah. I'm going to make it. Copyright Wade Brown, Minkadish Productions. Don't steal our ideas, please. Don't. I said it out loud. It's copyright. That's how it works, right? <laughs> that's how it works. Dibsies. <laughs> Dibsies. <laughs> <laughs> someone actually makes them with, hey. Like, like hey. But I call Dibsies on that. Dibsies here. <laughs> Dibsies, Dowsman, Dowsman. <laughs> Whew. Released in Spain in 1973 and in the United States in 1975, The Corruption of Chris Miller is a twisted tale of three damaged people pushed together in a remote mansion. Chris Miller lives with her stepmother, Ruth, in a large secluded mansion in the countryside. Both women have been traumatized by the mysterious disappearance of Chris's father, but their isolation is soon interrupted by the arrival of a mysterious young drifter named Barney. Barney is then hired as a handyman on their property. All the while, an unknown scythe-wielding killer has been stalking the area, leaving an ever-growing body count. This episode will contain spoilers. This is your spoiler alert. Spoiler alert! Spoiler alert! (laughs) You can watch The Corruption of Chris Miller on Shudder and Tubi. Also, a region-free Blu-ray DVD combo is available from Vinegar Syndrome and includes a newly scanned and restored version of the film in 4K from its 35mm original negative. I I own that. And just so you know, did you watch on the Vinegar Syndrome Blu-ray? I watched it on Shudder, and then I watched special features on the Blu-ray. Okay, so we both watched it on Shudder. Yes. So if there's any differences on Tubi or something like that, Mm -mm. 
we watched on Shutter. And I'll get into the differences a little bit later in the episode. Okay. But I wanted to mention that this film is in English on Shutter. Mm-hmm. Can I point because I was going to bring it up anyway? The dubbing is great in this. Mm-hmm. Great. There was times I forgot it was dubbed. I bought this from Vinegar Syndrome as a blind buy at Fantastic Fest two years ago. I was browsing, you know, their table, and I own a lot of their movies already, but of course, for the podcast, I was looking for a Jalo. This was the only Jalo they had at the time, and it's a Spanish Jalo, so I was very much intrigued. I wanted to review this last year in May, and then the pandemic happened shortly beforehand. It kind of threw a wrench into the schedule. So I kind of held onto it for a year, and I actually didn't even, like, read the synopsis for this film before watching it. You just tell me the movie, and I'm like, that's it. I don't read anything else, and just watch it. I said, Cinco de Mayo, we're watching a Spanish thriller. Directed by Javier Bardem's uncle, Juan Antonio Bardem. Did you? No. Oh, Wade didn't know this. No. His face. Yeah, uncle to Javier Bardem. Hell yeah. Yeah. Hell yeah. <laughs> Directed by Juan Antonio Bardem, this film requires a trigger warning as it contains scenes of rape and animal murder. The film was written by Santiago Moncada and contains very few standard Jalo elements. There's a cloaked killer fashioned with black gloves, a trench coat, and a hood, along with voice dubbing. It's a little obvious in the beginning, but then it gets very natural. The film's writer, Santiago, began his career as a novelist before branching out and writing such genre films as Hatchet for the Honeymoon and Curse of the Black Cat. Black Cat, you say? I'm interested. With a 113-minute runtime, the corruption of Chris Miller consists of the equivalent of one death every 19 minutes. With that said, let's talk about the kill sequences and the beats of this film a little more in depth. We open on a rainy Spanish countryside as a retired burlesque performer tries to kick out her drifter boyfriend of two weeks. This actress is well known for a Charlie Chaplin character as well. Dressed in her Charlie Chaplin mask and top hat, our killer stabs the actress in the hand with scissors. There's a bit of a struggle. We cut back to a lifeless, bloody body where we can assume that the actress is dead after being stabbed repeatedly by her mass assailant. And like the pro, he stayed in character and silent the entire time. Mm-hmm. It's probably a Chaplin joke there. I was explaining to the audience because it was a terrible joke. <laughs> <laughs> Our killer then runs off into the woods, leaving his Charlie Chaplin mask in the mud. This large set piece murder is very well done, and I'm surprised that it is not referenced more often when talking about Jallo kills. This is also, by the way, this is like the first five minutes of the film. Yeah, it's this a is- huge set piece kill, although you don't really see the struggle, and you're kind of left wondering, like, what happened to her body, because you just kind of see it bloody and on the ground. I'm assuming that she got stabbed repeatedly with the scissors. Yeah, just boom, 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 boom. Very fast-paced beginning. Mm-hmm. And just this kill, and then credits on, like, a train track. Yeah, he runs, he's in the rain, there's a dog. First yeah. five minutes of the movie, there's, there's a, a dog. dog. <laughs> so we get that train track, like, kind of dreamlike, little transition. Cut to the nearby manor of Ruth Miller and her stepdaughter, Chris. 
Chris has blackouts and fits of rage that end with her stabbing bedding and pillows as she relives a past experience. Rain is the trigger to trauma in Chris's past, so the rain in the opening scene kind of transfers over to this trauma with our lead character. Chris is haunted by two recent events. Her father left Ruth and Chris the year prior. Additionally, Chris was raped in a locker room shower. She leans on her stepmother, Ruth, to care for her. However, Ruth has a secret agenda that involves triggering Chris's blackouts and sending her stepdaughter into a downward spiral. Enter one, Barney Webster, a British traveler hiking his way across Spanish countryside. Sleeping in barns. Yes, he's found naked sleeping in their barn. This man... He doesn't care at all. He does front flips. He does... This man's. Yeah, this, this man's just sleeps. He's just like... He gets awoken by Ruth in the barn, and then he just stands up and he's like, you like what you see? I'm like, boy! This movie is one of the horniest jolly It was very, very... At least, like, that intro of Barney, you're like, dude is laying it on thick. And it worked. After sleeping with the matriarch of the family, Barney finds himself as the new handyman at the Miller residence. Chris isn't pleased as she doesn't trust Barney, nor should she as he is constantly snooping around the house looking for money, treasure, something. He's just being a nosy snoop and it's just up to no good, really. He's no good. You found him sleeping in your barn naked. That should have been the big old red flag. Red alert. <laughs> Barney's appearance coincides with a rash of shocking murders in the area. Despite seducing both, Chris and Ruth become convinced that Barney has more on his mind than lust. He might even be this murderer. Barney is eventually kicked out of the Miller's home just as our mass killer strikes again. Oh, does this killer strike again? So this ending is super quick and like things really pick up. Let's talk a little bit more about some of the specific aspects of the film that we liked before we just get into this insane ending. The main cast consists of three characters. Everyone else is just a side character. We have Gene Seberg as Ruth Miller, who is the matriarch of the family. Gene was a famous French new wave actress best known for the film Breathless. Do you know anything about this actress? I know Breathless. Okay, Breathless. Okay. Do you know anything about her personal life? Nope. So in the late 1960s, Jean became the target of the FBI due to her support of the civil rights movement and her romantic involvement with a Black Panther activist. She then found her life and career in jeopardy as surveillance happened and harassment starts. She starts to have depression and kind of a downward spiral. There's actually a film that came out about two years ago starring Kristen Stewart as this actress, as Jean Seberg. That's what it's called, a Seberg. And it focuses on Seberg's blacklisting in America and Hollywood due to the alleged ties to the Black Panthers. Oh, damn. And then at the age of 40, she died of an apparent suicide. Six days after her body was found, the FBI admitted to purposefully defaming her character during this era. Goddamn America. Yeah. I only know her from Breathless. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so in her personal life, she was very much involved in the civil rights movement, and unfortunately, she passed away at the very young age of 40. 
Next in the cast, we have an actress, a one-name actress, who is apparently a famous child star in Spain, Marisol. Marisol. Beautiful. She plays Chris Miller, the traumatized daughter. I don't believe I have seen her in anything else, but I kind of want to, I want to seek out stuff she's been in now that I've seen her in this. Yeah. Same. She's great. She was really good. Next in the the main cast of three, we have Barry Stokes, who plays Barney Webster, the drifter turned lover turned handyman. He kind of reminded me of one of the monkeys. Reminded me of Malcolm McDowell, a young Malcolm McDowell. Yeah. The hair. Yeah, it could just be the hair, but kind of reminded me of like, yes. Another Jala trope, uh, man with hair, man with nice locks. There's always one. Like a tenebrae, there's the, oh god, the, the blonde, the, the assistant, the blonde, the long blonde haired kid. The Johnny. Johnny. Yeah. Yeah, like, there's always that long haired person. Hmm. That's a, that's a maybe Jollo element. That's a, that's a stretch, <laughs> that's what they call a stretch Armstrong. Um, and another character who we only meet once is named Lewis, who is the neighbor to the Millers, and he's also a horse farmer. He's played by Rudy Gable. He's one of the only characters besides this family that's in town that actually the characters like get introduced and they get names, but they're only seen in one scene. Rudy Gable and the horse stable. Many of the scenes take place inside this mansion, the Miller residence. Though the movie was filmed in Spain, the exteriors reminded me of an English countryside. The setting was very beautiful. Filmed in Barcelona, gorgeous, gorgeous exteriors. To emphasize the gorgeous exteriors, we have Juan Gelpi's vivid and gorgeous cinematography. It fills the widescreen frame with interesting camera angles and stylistic lighting, and it really makes this house seem even bigger than it actually is. It makes you feel like even more like lonely and claustrophobic. Yeah, the Technicolor is great for this. Mm-hmm. So good. Have you seen the movie called Crypt of the Living Dead? No, I have not. So the cinematographer also filmed that movie. It's not necessarily my flavor of the month this episode, but I would also suggest Crypt of the Living Dead if you're at all interested in cinematography or the way that this film looked. Another standout aspect of the corruption of Chris Miller is the music. Scored by Waldo De Los Rios, he also scored the film House That Screams. They take chances with it. Like, there's weird transitions of, like, like super like positive uh you know like in a major key and then it gets this really harsh minor haunting kind of sound weird transitions with the edits it works it, it wakes you up a little bit and it it's very similar to the actual film i mean the film starts out jarring then it's slow and then it ends very jarring and i feel like the music really translates to that oh yeah yeah, especially when it's like raining, he just there's like a burner, and the music both sides are really like they really make they really paint the scene along with the cinematography. Like it's every movie where the cinematography, the sound, uh, the sound editing, the score, everything, the actors, everything is important pieces of the puzzle. And the score, once again, they knocked it out of the park. I think he knocked it out of the park. Yeah, Waldo. Waldo. This is when the film really ramps up. Around an hour into the movie, our killer is back in disguise and dressed in a rain slicker for his second string of murders. As I mentioned, the film starts very abrupt and very brutal. 
And then it goes very silent for like an hour. There's just a lot it's of a, like... It's a slog. Yeah, it, there's a lot of dialogue-heavy scenes inside the house. Oh, Not much action besides Chris having blackouts and like freaking out occasionally. Nothing really Jalo-esque happening for about an hour. Not I'm be real. Not a whole lot is happening. Yeah. For an hour. So we're about thirty minutes from the end of the film, and all of this stuff goes down. Yeah. Kills two through six happen almost immediately in succession. An entire family consisting of a father figure, a mother, a young man named Pedro, who is actually played by our director, a young woman named Maria, and a child are stabbed with a scythe. We met this family earlier in the film when Barney and Chris went into town. That makes me think, okay, so here's a side note. Do you get stabbed with the scythe or do you get sliced with the scythe? I think you could do both. I think yeah. it depends where you get never thought about it until we had this discussion here. I think you get stabbed with the point. You get dead. You get sliced with the blade. That guy gets sliced in the throat the first kill in the house. That the throat slit. Oh my gosh. Oh my gosh. And you know what? The kid saw... Oh man. I'm just now like remembering this scene. So when Barney and Chris go to... It's like a shop in the town. They meet this family. Like, Chris knows this family. The kid is there, and the kid sees a monk outside. Like, during the daytime, whenever, like, they're at the shop. Then, right before the killer kills them all, the kid sees the killer outside, and he's like, oh, there's a monk outside. And he goes to, like, every family member saying, like, hey, there's a monk outside. Should we say hi? And they're all like, yeah, let him in. And that's how they get killed is oh. because he sees. I'm all about like a full circle moment. And I feel like that was like very full circle is that he like saw the monk the day he saw Barney and Chris. Yeah, the, and then the monk, quote unquote, monk is like the the one that killed them. Yeah. Damn. Even worse, being killed by being killed by the person or they try to offer you extended warranty in their car. What would be worse? I think it killed me worse. <laughs> Damn it. Damn it. <laughs> Those extended warranty calls, they get me every time. Apparently they're doing door-to-door. That's why I made the reference. Apparently they're doing door-to-door now. No, I'm not answering my door ever again. It's also mentioned by the police that prior to these six murders, the entire family that we just talked about, Our mystery killer has committed six additional murders over the span of two years, bringing his total body count to 12. So he's a serial killer at this point. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, so this killer has killed 12 people. We only see six actually happen in this film. I have to mention this. My favorite thing about this movie is that no dogs are killed. Yes. It's not the animal murder that I mentioned in the beginning. That is actually a rabbit is killed on screen. But no dogs are killed. And in fact, they're the lone survivors at each crime scene. Every family or person that this killer has murdered, he left the dog living. He's a dog person. Am I on this murderer side? I don't know. I don't know. More so than if he killed the dog. Yeah. But that's my favorite thing. I absolutely love that, especially because within this subgenre, you are constantly getting animals being killed, like dogs, cats. Um, And I I like that they're just the lone survivor. Like, that really made me feel pretty good about this film. Yeah. (laughs) 
We cut back to the Miller residence. After breaking back into the home, Barney ransacks the place and then he tries to seduce Chris. There's a bit of a rape scene. They, they kind of like seduce each other. Like we, you don't really know what Barney's up to. It's like a sex scene mixed with like a rape yeah. flashback. Yeah. It really is. They're all three of them are locked into the house. Barney's like ransacking the house. Ruth, the mom, goes to Chris's room and is like, hey, go downstairs, keep him busy, like, seduce him while I leave the house and get help. But you don't really know what everyone's intentions are, and I think that's one of the main mysteries of this film, is that you are not really sure who to trust and if Ruth is actually trying to save Chris. We don't, we don't know. Suspecting Barney of being a thief, rapist, and a murderer... Ruth and Chris stab him repeatedly. You get stabbed in the back. It's like, at two, Chris Miller? Uh, they, get, they mess him up. This scene is shown in slow motion, and it is extremely effective. And there's also a part where, like, they're doing that, like, he's running away from them, and they're chasing him, and yeah. there's no sound. No sound, slow-mo. Blood everywhere. Blood everywhere. He's I'm not up. sure if you actually like see like penetration. I don't. No. I don't. You do see it. Okay. There's a shot where she takes like the blades, obviously like a yeah, yeah. flash blade mm-hmm. or whatever. <clears throat> she gets him right in the back. It's like the probably the fourth stab of him. Oh, okay. Like it showed right in the back. It's like ah. And she well, it. Oh. he got stabbed so many times though. So it's like they didn't show like every stabbing. The few that they showed. Whew. Yeah. Man. I'll make it. Oh, yeah, he was naked. Because I noticed when he pulls over the, the grandfather clock, it strategically blocks out his penis area. That's very interesting considering the first time you see him on screen, he's naked. Yeah. And the last time you see him on screen, he's naked. Yeah. Damn. Whoa. Don't get naked, dude. Put your clothes on. Yeah. Put your pants back on, Barney. Yeah. That's even your real name. There's like, it's just, there's two theories I have on this film. And they don't don't confirm any of them. But the person who, there was a stranger who raped Chris Miller, right? Yes. I have a theory that's the dad. Oof. That's why the disappearance of him is extra more, you know. Oof. Yeah. And also have a theory that this is obviously not true. so sweaty and gross. That Chris Miller is actually the killer. Because you notice it's always raining. And that actually matches up great with you not knowing everyone's actual yeah. intentions. That's what I'm saying. That's like, because there's always rain, mm. right? And there's these people getting killed. And this person has wearing a mask. That's like a mustache. Yeah. It's trying to say. It's definitely a woman underneath this. Not lots of theories I had while watching this movie. It's like, oh, shit, the killer. I mean, there's nothing resolved ever. Yeah. What I love about it is it's, it, this movie is kind of like, they never resolve who the killer is. Well... Let's get into that. Oh, sorry. So after Barney is stabbed repeatedly in slow-mo, I can't get over this, in slow motion, there's a commotion outside the Miller residence. The killer has been caught. Wade, our killer is Lewis. Remember, oh. You remember Lewis, our handsome neighbor that we meet once an oh, hour? The only other character that was named? Yes. Lewis claims to have only committed the murders in order to get away with robbing the homes to get money to take care of his horses. Wouldn't it just be better if you just robbed the homes and not murdered people? Right. <laughs> kind of makes you think he liked murdering people. Yeah. 
or he was covering up for Chris Miller, who's the actual murderer. Oh, yeah. dun, dun, dun. Also, um, <laughs> also this sends like Chris and Ruth like what? Yes. What? Yes. So all along in this crazy like stabbing scene, the tensions are so high and Ruth and Chris think that Barney's the killer. They just don't give a fuck when stabbing him. And then like right on time, Lewis is caught and then they're like, oh my God, we killed this man. But I feel like even if he wasn't the killer, like even without the killer aspect, they probably still would have stabbed his ass. Yeah. The film closes with the two women burying Barney in a long, drawn-out scene. Two totally different endings were edited out of the same footage. One is a happy ending for the Spanish market. The two leads get away with the murder. They bury him, and then they're just next to the pool, and then it cuts, and la-da-da, that's it. Then there's the more moral ending for the international market, which is the U.S. cut that we watched where the dead young man, Barney, and his belongings are found because of the peas that were in his pocket that ironically grow, start to grow out of the road. I don't know if that's really how that happens. That scene was so long and drawn out. Yeah. Kind of for the other cut, then. Yeah, the happy ending. I like the happy ending as well. Is it technically a happy ending? Because they get away with murder. Of a guy who's kind of, well, no, he's a thief, so he isn't innocent. Oh, let's also mention that Barney had a picture of him and Chris's dad in his pocket. That was weird. Do you think that Chris's dad sent Barney to the house oh, to yeah. find the treasures? 100%. 100%. Yeah, I mean, this is a very interesting Jalo. It definitely is. And another interesting aspect is the history of 1970 Spanish horror is really fascinating because of government restrictions. The government dictated how much could actually be shown in domestic releases with everything from like monster movies to gothic suspense thrillers jumping through hoops to create two different versions with two satisfying endings. (laughs) It just seems like a lot of work. What makes it different is it's not like the movie is not even focused on the killer. Mm -mm. Like it's mostly focused on two people that are like living next door. To like the to the killer, like the killer. Like the, the, what I'm saying is like, it's not it's it's not really focused on a killer like a lot of Jalo films are. It's more focused on just like the paranoia of like two people. It's like it's like it, it's just talking about like Deep Red. It's like the neighbors down the apartment what they're dealing with mm-hmm. than the actual yeah. story. Yes, I like that a lot. In the 1970s, society was not as nuanced with dealing with the topic of trauma. So I found this film to be really good at building tension as relationships are straining under the pressure of change. Like you have like this new character coming in with Barney, you have the missing father, you have the killings happening, which is everyone's going through a lot of stuff. And then additionally, you have Ruth manufacturing mental illness issues to keep Chris dependent on her. Ruth playing into Chris's trauma. That was another aspect that I found to be really ahead of its time. And you don't see a lot in Jalo films. Ruth may not be a murderer, but she is a corrupter. So she's not innocent at all. 
we have violence as an outcome that, you know, when tensions build and build and build, it's going to erupt. It was, it was manipulated into growing. Yeah, and it's masterfully staged. I think, like, the sudden rush of that ending, like, that ending is so powerful. I just, I really like the ending. Like, as much as, like, the rest of the film is kind of a slog, like, I, I think the ending is, like, very strong. And I really liked the role reversal of Chris and Ruth, where at the beginning of the film, like, they have a conversation about, like, how Chris is really weak and she's very dependent on Ruth. And then you have that strong conversation at the very end where Chris is, like, no, you need me. <clears throat> they also do it kind of cleverly, like in the beginning. Chris is laying on a couch, and Ruth is like standing above mm-hmm. her. And this one, Chris is now standing on the step, the yes. higher step, yeah. looking down on Ruth. Yep. So it's, it's visually it works too. Yeah, visually it works. I think that the role reversal of the characters works really well. The only downside of this film, in my opinion, is that hour, the first five minutes, take that out. Okay, the first, the fifty-five minutes afterwards is like kind of like you're i don't want to say it's like feels like two separate movies it feels like it's a tease mm-hmm. they, like like someone i saw someone review it as like it's like blue balls <laughs> <clears throat> like they, they tease you with this big action scene and then an hour of slog slow this is a slow burn like yeah they say slow burn this is pretty damn slow i would have liked to see more of the actual killer yes um it's kind of you get the two big kills and that's the only time you see the killer I also wanted to see more of the incident that caused the trauma for Chris because it wasn't really clear, again, who it was. Like, you think it might be her dad. It, it felt like, if you look at the cover, it feels like false advertising. Because mm-hmm. you have the killer in this, you know, has the scythe is really cool. And also, you don't want really to see the corruption Mm-mm. of Chris Miller. Right. But you get something else out of it. It's not yeah. like you get false advertising and you get nothing out of it. You get a completely different experience yeah. From this movie. So well, I'll say that, that the promotional might have been false advertising. Well, the corruption but. maybe doesn't necessarily mean the trauma that she experienced prior to us meeting her. It's the corruption that Ruth is placing upon her yes, by trying true. to break down her psyche. The first two thirds of this film have a dreamlike feel. They focus on Chris's PTSD and her fragile mental state. It's slow. Like you said, be warned, just go into it knowing like you're going to get this big kill in the beginning and then it's going to be very slow for a while and then you're going to get this really strong, impactful ending. Last 20 minutes, yeah. Yeah, the last 30 minutes or so, they go full jalo with the reveal of the killer and back-to-back brutal kills. It almost makes you think, can you probably cut down a lot of that midsection? Yeah. If you trim the fat. Yeah, I think so. But you're saying the director and the editor might have thought... This is important that we're not seeing. The finale at the Miller residence is haunting. It will stick with you well after the film is over. It takes a while to get there and to get where it's going, but the ending makes the journey worth taking. With this month's flavor picks, I wanted to focus on Spanish thrillers. Wade, do you have any flavor of the month picks? Yes. Uh, first of all, I'll get the Tales from the Crypt one out of the way. Tales from the Crypt episode three is a crowd. From season two, check that out. This one's very loose, loosely based. I'll, the, my best one, I'll save for last. Mm-hmm. This one's very loose. The guest of okay. like these people. Adam, the Wing- Adam Wingard and Simon Barrett's the guest. Yes, as okay. in as in like they they introduce 
most of the Barney character, like these two, this family introduces this person who may or may not be who they seem. Also, in the gas dance events, basically mm. helps out the family. Mm-hmm. Barney helps out the family, stuff like that. But my main pit flavor of the month, I think, would be perfect for this. It's also it's a French film, so the French and a Spanish film, Diabolique mm-hmm. from 1955. I think I don't want to go any further with it. But Diabolique, I've not seen the remake, but the, that You movie, know, that was the last episode you were on. That was not your official Flavor of the Month pick, but we did talk about that film in yes, the last episode. I, th- I, thought, I thought I had deja vu just now. We had Diabolique, perfect for this Hard movie. recommend, apparently. We recommended this, it on two episodes. For this movie. Nice. So I have four Flavor of the Month picks. The first two are a bit hard to find, but hopefully some of you horror fiends out there are able to watch. My first pick is a 1971 Spanish giallo called Seven Murders for Scotland Yard. It's based on the story of Jack the Ripper, but here we have Jack the Ripper depicted as a cannibal. Let me guess, we should watch Seven Kills uh, by the Red Queen. (laughs) <laughs> right queen kill seven times that's it sorry uh, <laughs> seven murders for scotland yard we just slowly just like make our way to this film my next pick is a dragonfly for each corpse from 1974 this movie follows a killer on the streets of milan who murders people if he thinks that they're a deviant or if they're unclean an ornamental dragonfly soaked in the blood of the victim is left by each body my next pick is Vampires from 1974, which you can watch on Shudder and Tubi. So that would be a really easy pairing with The Corruption of Chris Miller, which is also available on Shudder and Tubi. And, Va- this is, and this is the Vampires with a Y. With a Y. Yes. yes. Two mysterious women lure various passerbys to their mansion in the English countryside and hold them captive in order to feed on them. Hmm, Sisters of Corruption, maybe they should have named Dibsies. it. Maybe they should have named that. <laughs> no, I call it Dibsies. I retroactively call it Dibsies. Yeah, we cannot, re- we cannot rename this film from 1974. Lastly, I want to throw in 1997's I Know What You Did Last Summer nice. into the mix because of the similarities between the rain slicker and the corruption oh of Chris gosh. Miller. I and I knew what you did last summer. I was just like, when do you get this really cool killer get up? I knew what you did last summer. Murder mystery. Corruption of Chris Miller. Murder mystery. That's my more um, loose if we're <laughs> recommendation. On, if we're based on outfits, okay, I'll choose Behind the Mask, The Rise of Leslie Vernon because he uses a scythe to kill people. <laughs> <laughs> I felt like immediately when I saw it on screen, like that's just what popped into my head. So I'm like, yes. I have to recommend that if you're looking for something that's not foreign and not from the 70s. Seven Murders for Scotland Yard, A Dragonfly for Each Corpse, Vampires, and I Know What You Did Last Summer. Those are my Flavor of the Month picks. That's a lot of flavor. Between the two of you and me, uh, that's a lot of flavor. A whole lot of flavor. You. I'll hold you for a whole month, I think. <laughs> well, you know those Spanish dishes, they're very spicy. You know, got a little... Little yes. flavor kick. Wade, is there anything that you would like to plug or promote while I have you on this episode? As always, my personal stuff: uh, Instagram at Swade Guy, Twitter Frankenswade, and my Letterboxd, which you know I love using Letterboxd. I love Letterboxd. Swade M 
MCP. Speaking of MCP, we have Mint Condition Productions. YouTube.com slash Mint Condition Productions. We do Criterion Connection. Uh, we're all, we're nearing. Later this year will be episode 200. We also have B-Movie Dance, stuff like that. I'm also working on my short film, a Jalo short film. Mm-hmm. Not much else I can say about it. We moved on from podcasts. Now we're doing Tales from the Pod Crypt, mm-hmm. which you were on many times. The Tales from the Pod Crypt was born out of this podcast, Jalo of the Month. Yeah, from Flavor of the Month. Yes. So Tales from the Pod Crypt, we are starting, well, right now this, is in, this episode's in May. Uh, we're starting season two. Hopefully early July, because mm-hmm. you know we want to take our time, want to edit it and do a lot of stuff. So season two is coming soon, but season one, it's all available right now on Spotify and iTunes and all that stuff. And they're short, sweet. Yeah, talking about tales, tales from the crypt. Yeah, uh, and you can follow us on Instagram at Tales from the Pod Crypt. You can follow Jollo the Month Club on Twitter and Instagram at Jollo Club. You can follow myself, Diana, on Twitter, Instagram, and Letterboxd. We love Letterboxd. At Diana NK. Jolly the Month Club's logo design is by Vegan Patches on Instagram. You can find Vegan Patches Etsy shop at Retirement Funds. Intro and outro music is by musician Dream Division. You can find Dream Division's music on Instagram at Dream Division Music and on Bandcamp at DreamDivision.Bandcamp.com. If you're listening to Jolly of the Month Club on Apple Podcasts or your favorite podcast platform, please give us a good rating. I really like creating these episodes and giving you guys fun content and a great rating really helps me do that. Wade, thank you so much for being here. You'll be on, as always, (laughs) you will be on a future episode, I'm sure. Thank you for listening to Jolly of the Month Club. As always, I'm your host, Diana. And I am Wade.